0: So middle of seven, how was that uh, good? I mean, I have an excuse to be different from middle, middle child syndrome. I don't know. I think you just you just learn that you had to share, learn mm-hmm. to share. <laughs> I mean, <meet, laughs> I mean, people I mean, people who are like only children and not everyone, but it's I think it's more likely that they'll be uh, a little bit less aware of like how you can, how you're affecting other people. And right. um, yeah, it's just it's just weird to me. So uh. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, big family. So it's like, I think I I would love to be the type of person that just puts off a a good vibe, like a really positive vibe, but I've never been able to do that because I have like this competition or like dark energy within me. And I think, I think it's from getting bullied from my siblings, but then I also, I also bullied my other siblings, my younger siblings. So it just was like all around negative, not, not negativity all the time growing up, but there was a lot of negativity. Just get in fights all day. You got nothing else to do. Um, so yeah, um, I wish I wish I could just be have a positive vibe all the time, but I can't. This is just me.
1: Yeah. I mean, hey, you're proud of your environment. I my so growing up as an only child, I I don't know, my parents did their best not to spoil me. Like they would always just like, you know, I probably they could have easily just been like, yeah, we'll buy you that Hot Wheel. We'll buy you this. We'll do this for you, but they were like out of like principle just be like, no, 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 like yeah. put me in my place, all that. And I think that helped, but you Know I guess I am relatively positive at times. I don't know. I think it's probably a better view. You have a more realistic view of the world, I would say. I wouldn't call it negative. <laughs>
0: yeah. 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 No, I like that. Yeah. Um uh realistic, but maybe maybe like slightly pessimistic. But uh slightly pessimistic. Yeah, <laughs> Just a yeah, little bit. <laughs> probably. Well then, then you then you get. If you, I mean, you get in a little bit of philosophy, and then you get the like the the nihilistic, where it's like, what even matters at all, you know? Mm-hmm. And I and I kind of get that. I kind of get that way with the fitness stuff, or like the all this even like for me is like the patellar tendon stuff, and spend so much time and energy for years on this stuff, and uh, I'm like, I don't even care, man. It's just a joke to me. <laughs> yeah, <and> why <laughs> you know, do you people, do it? Why do you even people, do it, man? Because like... I need I need something. I need because um, I've I've been uh, back and forth with. Having uh, having like a strong purpose in life and and for me, for years, my strong purpose was um, uh, college strength, college strength conditioning, maybe not like my ultimate purpose, but it was like a, a thing that uh, took up all of the time and energy throughout my days. It's like I want to be a college strength coach, you know, like and and working my way to get there. And then I got it and then it just kind of sucked and then, it, and then I gave up and then it's like you go back, you go back from having this strong purpose to now you got to find a new purpose. Um, and I guess I did that a little bit with the online business, but then once the online business is successful enough, then it's like, if you can't push yourself, then your purpose is kind of gone again. And it's like, you go up and down between having a strong purpose and not having a strong purpose. So anyways, for me, like I say, it's a joke because it's just like, I mean, I'm who cares, bro. It's, it's, it's fitness. It's, it's patellar (laughs) tendon. Everyone, everyone. Everyone who lives and plays basketball and injures their knee and whatever, like they're going to give up on basketball over time or they're going to die or something. It's like uh, we have more knowledge of tendons. Great. Very cool. Uh, (laughs) It is is fun for me, but I I just look at it as if I live my life and I don't have a purpose, if I have a day where I don't have a purpose, I'm just going my our brains are going to find a problem. I'm going to find a problem and I'm just going to get depressed about something. So. Mm-hmm. I need something to focus on. So um uh, probably the most effortless thing for me is the Patellar Tendon work. Um just very easy for me to focus on and it and I guess it gives value to other people. Um but I I I don't wanna I don't wanna reach so much and, and say how important all this stuff is and and we're impacting the lives of all these people and, and changing the world and furthering knowledge because it's like, well, maybe that stuff's happening, but I on the other end I'm also looking at it like, who cares? Right. Who cares, man? <laughs> it's just a knee.
1: It's just a knee. It's just a uh, tendon.
0: Like, yeah. One thing, one thing, maybe maybe to, a, a story that I think was good was. Um, and because there are worse, there are worse things in life that happen to people in life. Um, but when I was at University of Minnesota, I was interning with uh, strength. One of the football strength coaches, Dustin, he's with the 49ers now. Uh, he said it at the time and I didn't appreciate it until like years later, but he was talking about other strength coaches and he's like, you get strength coaches come in and they're all serious and they act like, um, they have the most important job in the world and they, they kind of treat other people bad and other interns bad and stuff. And he's like, dude, it's not like you're saving kids from cancer. Right. people to lift the weights. <laughs> so yeah. he said that. And at the time, I'm like a young intern, and I'm like, nah, dude, this is this is an important job. This is this is an awesome job. You know, and then years later, it's like, you know what, you're right, man. What who cares? It's sports, it's it's football. It's someone putting five pounds on their squats. Um, I yes, yes, on one side, very cool. It could help someone's life, but on the other side, who cares?
1: Right. It it it's that like risk reward thing. You know, I talk to coaches who first start out and they're like, how do I make money? How do I do this? How do I do that? I'm like, well, one, you're not making a lot of money because like it's fitness. There's like inherently like very little risk involved with this. It's not, you know, like curing kids of cancer or surgery or something like that, where it's like hundreds of thousands of dollars and there's a ton of risk if they mess it up or something. So it's like, you just have to get good at your craft at this point, which is inherently low risk, very high reward if someone just stays consistent. And you just sit there and count reps, <laughs> and try to be like funny here and there, like <laughs> or be personable. And it's just like you just got to give it time, a lot of yeah. The time. Like, yeah,
0: that's
1: yeah.
0: People are just I, impatient. Um, I see. It's 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 weird. It's it's a weird thing, man. When um, uh, now I can't think uh, off the top of my head, but I, 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 a number of friends who like get into maybe even what I do like if I'm i just so right now I just sell ebooks you know and I make enough money selling ebooks which is not the most profitable uh, business model but it's what I what I want to do now it's what um mm. just it's just what I do and um people will be like, man, I see the, like passive income, I want to do passive income, you know, and then it's like, I'm gonna write an ebook or I'm gonna you know, and it's like, you should, you should, you should first ask am I good at this thing? Mm you know, am I good at it? And, uh, people don't ask that. They just hop right in. Like, I want to start a business for this. I want to go, you know, um, well, maybe, maybe just in fitness, other areas you probably use that That's probably, there's probably potential there, but if it's like, you're going to help someone gain muscle, you're going to help someone jump higher or fix their knee pain. Those are all the things I do. It's like, I only have products on those because I know how to do that. And I know how to help someone do it. Um, but if it's like, I want to get passive income, bro. And I want to make, I want to make a program and I want to sell this program. And then you're going to, what are you going to do? You're going to spend a bunch of money on marketing to get people to buy it. You should just have a solid product that has a lot of value. And then it's, people are just going to buy it because it works and they, and it works on word of mouth and sure. Spend money through marketing. But I think the primary thing is have a good product, have a valuable product, and it'll fix a lot of the Things that shouldn't even be problems because le- down the line, they shouldn't even be problems because you just have a crappy product. Make right. a better product that gets people results.
1: Or have a product that fixes the problems that other products cause.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's I, think, I think too that um, I'm, I'm never sour about buying a product and then it's like if it didn't work or I, I, didn't, I didn't like it that much. I'm, I'm never, I'm never uh, I guess, bitter about that. Uh, maybe because I also I sell products of my own, but it's like it's very hard to find the ultimate product on one thing. Like if there, you know, there's there's never going to be one thing. So you might have to buy fifty different products, and they all give you a little a small puzzle piece of Mm if you have a if you have a one hundred piece puzzle of of knowledge that you have to do. They might all give you one piece, but it's very difficult to find a product that is all encompassing and going to cover everything. Uh, So even I, I mean, I even see that with uh, the tendon, all those tendon researchers. I have conversation with the tendon researchers, and they, they all have such a good, uh, solid philosophy around tendons. Um, so you'd think that everyone would be saying the same thing. They've all written research papers together, and they don't say the same thing, uh, because there are, there are, they all have their own different perceptions or their own opinions of the things that they research um, Or there's, there's just so many different... Uh, things going on, I guess with the human body, there's so many different things going on. But especially with tendons, it's like you can talk about the load tolerance and the biomechanics. And then, well, if we just say load tolerance, there are a 100 things that can be going into load tolerance, there are a 100 things that can be going out in biomechanics. biomechanics. Uh, and then you just look at the structure of the tendons. And there's debates on that. So, um, I just, for myself, I'm really passionate about tendons. So it's like any tendon course, I just go and buy it. It's like 600 bucks. It's like a thousand bucks. I'll buy the tendon course. And you know what? A lot of them, I go through it and I'm like, this is, this is kind of useless stuff. This, is, this, mm-hmm. this course kind of sucks. But you know what? I learned one thing. I paid a thousand bucks and I learned one thing. I'm happy.
1: Yeah. You at least teach <laughs> something. Well, and yeah. that's the thing too with those course. Like I would much rather, I think that if there's one thing I've learned is to skip like products a lot of the times, just go to the source. So like, for example, um, like when I was first learning like PRI stuff, like rather I, I didn't start with the PRI like courses and like going to those and doing all that stuff. I instead, like I hit up, well, I was also broke as hell. So (laughs) I used my parents, I was on my parents' insurance and I would just go to PRI people who like, and have them do like treatments on me. And just like learn from like what they were doing about. And they would just like, like talk about every single thing and like what they actually found useful from the courses that they did. And then that like set the foundation. And then I took that and then like went and took a, like an official course on it. And that helped a ton, but like just skipping the the BS and just going to people who are actually like, you know, in the trenches and <laughs> like fixing this stuff or like actually working with it on a daily basis. That's like, why I hit up Alex Effer? I was like, dang, he's like fixing people left and right. Like he's doing something like correct. I'm like I'm, I'm gonna talk to this guy. Like take my money.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I could. I I guess I didn't. I'm never. I was never. I'm never in an area where like there are tenent people. Yeah, you know, it's like they seem yeah, to. I be moved like- from
1: Lexington, Kentucky, all the way out to Seattle, Washington, because they had like. 15 people that were pri specialists out there i was like oh i'm gonna get i've literally moved across the country just so i could like go talk to
0: these people but i mean yeah yeah
1: I mean, I, um, now that i say that out loud i'm like man that's weird as fuck like, <laughs>
0: like <laughs> uh like, i got it i think i think i it's obviously it's not as good if you can't go be in person but i'm like mm-hmm. having a podcast it makes that so easy i just sent yeah. an email to to one of these i sent an email like a uh, one of the first ones was Jill Cook. I sent an email to Jill Cook and she replies and is down for the podcast. And she, I think it was like 90 minutes. And I was like, I was so engaged for that whole 90 minute conversation with this like 60 year old lady, Jill Cook Culver, you know, like, or whatever she is. Um, it, <laughs> the only it was thing great you have in common is tendons. Like- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it was great, though. Um And and. uh Yeah, so I think I think the podcast I. Um, I Having internet changed everything, but like having a, a podcast makes it so easy to connect to so those people that would never connect to you otherwise, and and you would always have to pay them for your time for for their time or yeah. watch their watch their presentations and stuff. And um, it's like I'm at the point now where I I could do I could do a show with Jill or Ebony, and I could probably do one like every single day and have new questions every single day for them. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, well, hopefully, I'm going to do one with Ebony Rio soon. Um, And I just, I, there's just so many questions that I have accumulated and so many conflicting opinions within the world. Uh, but really, really, you know what? Like that's for me, that's just for me because I find it very interesting, but someone who gets the patellar titan pain, it's like, you know what? It's, it's usually not that complex. You usually have something obvious that you're missing and you just address it and then you be patient and it goes away.
1: Patience. Like yeah. that's, that's the key word right there. It's just, like- it's,
0: it's patience. And then, and I think if it, if it's the nature of someone who gets patellar tendon, it's like more probably an explosive athlete or, uh, like a, I would take a Pascal player or something and, or a dunker. And we're so dopamine dominant where it's like, if you take, if I take away when I, when I, I mean, my patellar tendons are just solid now. I I, I don't even know the last time I had pain. It's probably because I've been rolling my ankles, been like landing on people's feet yeah. during basketball. <laughs> so like I don't have the opportunity to overload my patellar tendons because of my uh I can't I can't jump, my ankles my ankles hurt. Not that they well, I mean it just it just happens off and on. So that that gives me the break from uh doing too many dunk sessions. But when I have to take it away being like a dopamine dominant person, if I have to take away the dunk sessions or the heavy lifting, uh, I kind of get depressed. Yeah. Like I really I really enjoy that the environment that's around that because it's usually around friends i go do dunk sessions i go lift heavy with my friends or something and then um when you take that away and you just have to rehab yourself it really sucks so going back to being patient is that's probably one of the biggest things is that if you're the dopamine dominant person you're not going to be patient because you're going to go two weeks of rehab doing like isos and maybe slow lifting and you're going to be like screw this i want to go do a dunk session or screw this i want to go play sports (laughs) um which is why finding finding the lower load stuff can be good like uh spike ball i'm such a proponent of spike ball Mm. you get you can get those movements in and get some some dopamine some competition but you're really not going to load your patellar tendons like crazy um like you are if you're going to jump as high as possible so it's finding uh it's doing like smart rehab but then being someone who who re- myself re- has rehabbed off and on. It's like, I just learned, I've learned so many different things that uh, for for myself, but because I can connect to other people. And I think that's what sometimes is lacking when you talk to Jill or Ebeneer, it's like you're talking to researchers and they're not mm-hmm. going through patellar tendon rehab. They're just working with people. So for me, if I can combine all of the attempts to combine all of that, um, I think I can really connect better with those people. Um, or when things come up and it's like, you did a random dunk session three weeks and it's like, what is wrong with you? It's, it's, it's not, it's not so much of like, uh, being judgmental towards them, but it's like, I get it. It happens. Let's, uh, right. <laughs> let's yeah. go back. Let's go back to do some isometrics, get the thing, calmed down. Exactly.
1: And that's the biggest, like, I like that approach for sure. It, well, and you have that perspective too, because you've been in it. And that's the, that's the biggest thing. It's just having someone that you can like connect with It's like, I'm the same way as you like, whether it was my shoulder, my back, my hip, like I was always jacking something up. And so just, you know, someone comes in and is like, yeah, man, that sucks. I know. Like, <laughs> but hey, look, let's go do this. Like, let's at least still try to like challenge you and like have a good time. Yeah. And it goes a long way. But I don't know. It, that, I think the thing too is like when you look at the research, because again, they're looking at a very small bit of it. And then it's just like, how do you actually, it's like taking those and they're just like small little tools in your toolbox and then just applying them to like the bigger picture. And then, you know, like Bill Hartman always says, it's like, it makes sense on paper until you actually like have to work with the human in front of you. Uh And that's where like shit hits the fan. Like I remember working in, um, I worked in a sports clinic back in Seattle. I mean, we had, I would have a patient, sometimes double booked on the hour, sometimes quadruple booked on the hour. So I'd have four people and like one tech, like helping me out. So it's like two of us to four people, and it's like, I don't have time to do like teach this person a 90, 90 hip lift or like tell, you know, do this exercise or like go into as much detail. So it's like, you just got to throw, do the best you can. And like, here's the big picture, like what they probably need to do. And then like, you know, kind of just like throw paint at the wall and hope it's hope something sticks within there because that's, that's all you have the time for. And, yeah. I mean, we were a well-oiled machine. I don't want to make it sound like it was. <laughs> like horrible but you know we would knock it out and got like good results but it was I, I loved it it was fast-paced like boom 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 i'm like talking scraping the crap out of people's knees and doing manual stuff like uh, it was a good time
0: but where was that is that a clinic or what
1: yeah so uh shout out sports physical therapy up in uh seattle washington they got like i think four locations locations now dude it was my dream job 100 percent dream job but i i, I didn't make nearly enough money i will say that like mike you should have paid me more but <laughs> <laughs> but like it was oh man it was so much fun working there like but they do a really good job they do great what did you
0: there. Uh, what'd you do after why'd you leave <sighs>
1: man seattle's expensive like it just my girl was uh my fiance now but she was working at the children's hospital and i was just you know a pta fresh out of school like doing physical therapy and she couldn't, you know, we started thinking like long-term I was like, cause I knew I was going to propose to her at some point and her like childcare out there is like $3,000 a month by itself. Our rent was like two grand. And I'm like, I make $3,000 a month if I'm lucky. <laughs> like, I, it just, it just wasn't feasible. So we came back here to Cincinnati and it's dirt cheap, but you get what you pay for.
0: So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, it is what it is. But yeah, I'm curious, like, so you were talking about, you know, you have more and more questions popping up about like tendons and all that. And I feel like, you know, so much more than just like the general person on tendons, obviously, even probably more than like most, you know, doctors of physical therapy and all that stuff, or even researchers, but like, what is the biggest question you have around tendons right now? Like,
0: uh, well, here's what I would say first is like upper body tendons. Uh, don't even ask me because I'm not, I'm not saying you, I'm saying anyone out there is yeah. like, there'll be like elbow tendon or, or rotator cuff or whatever. will say patellar like, tendon then. Yeah, pretty much patellar. I mean, Achilles can Achilles and patellar yeah. are pretty, pretty similar. Um, I I always look at the reason why someone gets it and the patellar is usually like the jumping. Um, I guess I would think some of those compression loads, like from, because you can get it from lifters, like a power lifter, Olympic lifter. Um yeah. and and it is I guess it is high high rates loading if if you're, or it's just high load on the patellar tendon but it's not as much rate as like a uh a max effort jump so I think there's some compression going on because the the bone the patella bone uh hits the patellar tendon when you're getting mm. like in the bottom of uh, knee flexion so I think combining that while you're tugging on the tendon can lead to some of those changes Uh oh, some of those negative changes and then maybe that could lead to pain so um yeah patellar and achilles and then anyways i was saying like achilles um usually like well first an old person can get achilles like a very old person can get achilles right. from lo- load I'm... accumulation o- over life but it's, yeah. it's 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 probably because when you walk you're getting load on your achilles like a very small amount but when you walk you're loading your achilles you pretty much never load your patellar tendons unless you're going to do like uh knee flexion and extension and right. it's the the typical old person, like you're not, you're walking a lot. You're not really squatting or you're not really jumping or you're not really leaping over something. So yeah, Achilles and then Achilles, you can get like the sprinters or or, 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 different people. And I think it has a lot to do with how the foot's working, uh, versus like the, the foot's working or even, um, how you're, if you're a sprinter, how you're running. Cause I think a lot of people really have this, they try to push the ground and they, they might have a technique, especially if they're heavier, where it's just really tugging on the Achilles and maybe that could lead to some changes. Ah, uh, negative changes, but the patellar tendon is just like um, I've went down the the talked to a lot of people at the biomechanics side, and um, it's definitely a thing. But it's frustrating for me when I work with people because then they they think that they have the loading right. They think that the loading because loading is simple. If you if you look at the idea like a four stage process: isometric lifting, stone release, release, uh, return to play. If you look at something like that and you follow something along those lines. It's pretty simple stuff. And then people will do it and they won't get better. And it's probably the patience aspect. They're not patient Mm -hmm. enough. They haven't developed the strength of the quad or the strength of the leg. Um, and they haven't developed the hopping ability. One thing Jill Jill had said is the it's about the quad and the calf. But I would say it's about the quad strength, but calf strength, like doing calf raises and like it to me pretty unimportant. I think it's go ahead and do it. But I think the calf idea is more about. How you how you look when you hop, how your, how the quality of your hopping is, which might not which is is not going to be just the calf it's everything in the lower leg, but it's a lot of calf it's a lot of how your Achilles is working, how your foot's working with the ground, so I would put the patellar tendon into those three ideas of what's the strength of your quadriceps and what does your hopping ability look like, and then probably this the general strength of that entire leg and The thing with patients those things can take a very long time especially if you've had patellar tendon pain for a long time your quad is going to be very weak your leg is going to be very weak and you're going to hop like you're not even going to be able to hop your heel is probably going to be smacking the ground every time anytime you try anything so developing all those things takes a while um and the whole biomechanics piece when you talk about biomechanics for patellar tendinopathy i i think it it We take it away from where someone gets pain, where someone's going to get pain is usually the jumping or the sport play. And I think the biomechanics of those things are what people should look at. Look at the biomechanics of how they're, how they're moving while they get pain, instead of being like, let's go do a very low level thing to see how something's working. I'm not saying it's unimportant. It's definitely important. Like if you, if you have uh, one hip can flex and one hip cannot flex at all from a table test or something, well, uh, probably something to address, you know? but uh i i think it should start it should start with the i guess the idea of starting with the end in mind and what causes pain okay what is what is that if you can look at it what does that look like okay now we can work backwards from from uh what that activity looks like because you get patellar tendon pain you're not really going to get it walking around you're not going to get it doing a very low level thing you might get it doing a lunge if you get a little tug on it but um anyways, so your question. Now we're just coming back to the question because I just I just had to say that I know <laughs> quite a bit about the Patellar, I know I know a bit about the Achilles, but the other tendons, uh, I don't I don't know too much about um like upper body and, and the other ones. But so my biggest question, uh and I and I probably depends on what I'm going through with my life at, at any time. Like the more bored I get in life, the more I probably think about these things. But how I have things going on, I'm not really thinking. Um But I, I'm really looking at like, why, why do you get, why does someone get, you shouldn't get a tendon pain. You shouldn't have, you shouldn't have tendinopathy. Shouldn't be a thing. Uh, And, and, uh, Craig Purdom said that a long time ago, he said humans and horses get tendinopathy. No one else, but I guess dogs do. Some, my friend said dogs get tendinopathy and, uh, it's always from the changes in load. It's, I think it's from like doing nothing and then going and just blowing up your tendon with a lot of load. And I just, I look at, you look at the evolutionary standpoint of like a caveman or something. And it's like, would they ever have this massive change in load? I, I, maybe not. Maybe they would build it up slowly in their, in their entire life and keep, keeps, even if they do have high loads, they would keep them in probably daily. Um, and then if they did get a tendon pain, they're not going to go do, they're not going to know to go do isometrics. They're probably just going to keep moving. And I think just the nature of continuing to move is probably going to solve things. It's probably if it, it, and it could solve things by changing the way that they move. Like if, for example, they've they've uh, caused some serious damage to their patellar tendon and they still need to go about their life and go hunting and and jump and and stuff like that. Given enough time, they're probably going to change their biomechanics to take load away from that uh, degenerative area. And then you look at the research on uh, people with tendinopathy or. Then you look at the research on when you're 17 years old the tendon is done it's basically done like it's 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 formed the analogy uh carl callers said was you build a house once and you live in it forever and it's like it's it's crazy It's amazing you know it's like you you built your tendon by the time you're 17 and now you have that tendon forever and you're really not going to change much of it um so he said you have 97 percent of the tendon is built and then you have three percent of the tendon. Um, probably between all the fascicles, 3% of the tendon that is put in there and then taken out, put in, taken out every single day. So you have like a sac- sacrificial collagen, you know, um, which this stuff is, this stuff is crazy to me, dude. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, right. it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. And, um, so, but anyways, I should have been able to ask him this. I didn't, I don't think I had the opportunity to ask him this. You say when you're 17, it's done. But then you have the same exact group that did research on people with tendinopathy and they found like over 50% of their tendon uh, was turning over, like had an had abnormally high turnover rate um, versus healthy people. So healthy people with a healthy tendon, their tendon doesn't really turn over past 17, but unhealthy people that have tendinopathy, their tendon turns over past 17. So it's continually turning over. So I think it's, it, it goes to the, the human body of how the human body adapts. And once you have it, if you have a tendon pain, and your body knows that I still have to load this knee, uh, it's probably going to up its turnover rates of that tendon to put in more healthy tissue, it might not change that one area of degeneration, but it might just make the whole area bigger. So you have enough, uh, you have enough area to where you can load that thing. So I think that could actually also be the danger of um, completely offloading a tendon issue because then the, these turnover, these collagen turnover changes take months and probably years. So if you completely offload that patellar or that Achilles, you're probably not going to get that turnover because your body's going to be like, what's, why would I, why would I continue to turn over something that I'm not using? So that's just a thought. I could be completely wrong. Um, but yeah, the biggest, the biggest question I have is just like, I guess really, Why do, why do we even get them? Why, why do we get the tendinopathy? And, um, yeah, why do we get the tendinopathy? And then I, I, I go to, I think too, of like the other side, the nutritional side, is there something, is there something nutritionally or is there something lifestyle that's, that's causing these things? Or is it also that we should, if I'm a dunker, I should dunk and tell them about 25 years old, and then I should be done. Is that what's going on too? Should I, should I, should I just stop overloading my tendons as I get older? Um, and back, back, now we're just talking about any, anything that comes to my brain. So the, the, the nutritional side, then you have the diabetic tendinopathy. You have people, people with diabetes are, are more likely to get uh tendinopathy because they get the sugar cross links and not just the sugar cross links because the collagen within the tendon is, is like, they say the collagen is within the fascicles and it goes end to end, or that's one of the ideas is it does go end to end. The other idea is no, it's not continuous, but. For the sake of simplicity, let's just say that it starts in, in the muscle, the quadriceps muscle, and it goes all the way down to the tibia. The fascicle goes all the way down. And it's and within that is a bunch of collagen that's that should be really well aligned. Um, and but the collagen is cross-linked, and the collagen can get cross-linked with sugar cross-links um, if you have chronically high blood sugar, like a um a uh, diabetic, and that would make the tendon like more brittle. It wouldn't be as strong because the cross-linking is adding another level of stiffness. So it would make it more brittle, maybe more likely for, maybe more likely for tendon rupture. I'm not sure. Maybe more likely for degeneration or tendon pain. So you look at all of those different ideas and then it's not just the cross-linking, but also the cells, the tendon cells are also affected by chronically high blood sugar. So there's, there's a a number of different uh, things within tendon outside of just collagen. It's just all about collagen. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. yes, but but not really. Um, the so it's like, yeah, nutritionally, uh, lifestyle wise, why do we even get them? And then the, the circadian rhythms with Carl Cadler too is like, okay, if you mess up your circadian rhythm, are you now messing up that sacrificial collagen, potentially tapping into the co- the actual collagen? Uh, and then another thing is the tendonopathy continuum. You have the reactive tendon. The first time you get a tendon pain, you just blown up the tendon. It kind of hurts. Um, I think that that pairs up with the inter matrix. Like you haven't done damage to the collagen. You just damaged the area outside of the collagen. Um, uh, you've damaged that area and it's, it's very quick. It, it hurts very bad, but it also resolves very quickly. So when you have a reactive tendon or it's the first time getting tendon pain, uh, that person it's more support for the first time you get it, just chill out, just relax. Like you don't have to go do isometrics or get on a loading program. You just blow up. You just blew up your tendon. You probably didn't do too much damage to your collagen, unless you had an event where you feel like you had a, a tear. If you had like okay. a, a serious jump or something, where it's like, "Oh, I, I feel like I I I tore. Or, I felt like a tear within the tendon." If if that would happen, usually it's just you overloaded the tendon. It's pissed off. Let it rest, and that would be the interfacicular matrix. And then if you continue that, if you continue, if you have the pissed off tendon and you keep pissing it off. That's probably where you'll tap into the collagen and start getting degeneration within the collagen, which at that point, you're kind of screwed because the collagen takes months and years to turn over. And then you really got to get on the loading program uh, with isometrics, isotonics, um, all of that stuff. But going back to what we said earlier with like the caveman example, they, they probably don't know to do the isometrics or the isotonics. So could you just get better by moving? You probably could get better by moving and just avoiding the painful activities.
1: Right. Well, and that makes me think too, just I think back to what you were saying. I think it's you talking about that, it makes me think nutrition, probably number one. And then number two is just that. But I
0: don't but the thing is, I don't know with the nutrition. I don't know what needs to be done for nutrition.
1: I have no well, clue. So I talked to Pat Davison um on a podcast a while back, and we were trying to talk about like cavemen and like some of the different like things that we saw through like Paleoithic and then getting into like when we transitioned to like agriculture, right? And so you go from hunter-gatherers, which were eating a ton of protein, all this, you know, kind of foraging that stuff. Um, the teeth that we had, and this is just relating to teeth, which obviously isn't tendons and all that stuff, but just kind of like spitballing here. But he's talking about how they had perfect like teeth alignment and they had no cavities. But then you start looking at when agricultural revolution type stuff happened. And then now you have these farmers and they still had straight teeth, but they started forming cavities because they were just eating like the same foods over and over and over. And they weren't getting proper like nutrients uh, within their diet essentially. So then that makes me think of like, you know, a diabetic or something who's eating, you know, a ton of foods. That's always spiking their blood sugar and they're not getting enough protein. They're not getting all these different things. Cause I mean, I, I, in my experience, just training people, most people don't bring in enough protein that they need to, especially if they're, even if they're, you know, sedentary or active. So that just makes me think like, maybe you just have these people that are eating like shit all the time. (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And then, you know, that person who also eats like shit might have a little bit of extra weight on them, which then affects their biomechanics. And then they're also probably sedentary. And then they feel like they're going to go place and like pick up basketball one day. And so they go from like, they're like the racehorse, well, kind of like a retired yeah. racehorse, <laughs> like it's just grazing the fields all the time, and then it feels like sprinting one day, and then you have like this like issue that just kind of pops up. But it 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 does make me wonder. I, I'm with you on the nutrition aspect. I think that definitely has to have an uh, a point to, yeah. but yeah. but not moving enough. I'm curious, like if step count or if you've like gone through any of the research and seen like what how like step count could like. Associate with this, like people who only get like five thousand steps per day, if they're like at more of a risk of like a tendinopathy or something like that, versus yeah. someone who gets twenty thousand per day. Like or,
0: I know, and I I think they they kind of touch on that idea with the diabetic tendinopathy of, of just right. it helps to take the extreme far end of diabetic tendinopathy, someone that doesn't have uh, right. blood sugar control or I guess long term blood sugar control and uh then they kind of step back and say like well if you are not active and if you're chronically because you eat too much and you just don't exercise you could get those changes to tendon but the (laughs) the funny thing is anytime i post a study like that on instagram you get someone in the dms like taking it and blowing it up of like oh my tendon hurts is because i walked a thousand steps yesterday and not ten thousand. You know, it's like no, you don't get these changes that fast. That's uh, not it. Like, many things. Everything on. we're
1: talking about is very gray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: it's yeah. It's as um, gray as it gets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Uh I I and I I I wonder too on the I wonder the effect of uh fasting because there's some there's some research on the uh, autophagy, is that how you say it? Autophagy. Autophagy, know, autophagy, 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 whatever it yeah. is, yeah. Um, there's some ideas around that, but then, but then you get into, uh, I I guess actually you could get an uptick of that by just consuming less calories being on like a hypocaloric diet. You don't really need to do fasting, but I wonder the, the long-term benefits, if you did more longer term fasting, like what could that potentially do to a tendon or would it do nothing at all? I don't know. But I think when you talk about the protein needs, um, the muscle, like if you have a cellular tendon pain, your quadriceps muscle is very important, uh, mm. to maintain your quadriceps muscle strength. So if you just don't consume any protein, you're probably, you're probably going to have a, a under recovered or weaker quadriceps, and that's yeah. going to make it more likely for you to get a tendon pain. Uh, so like keeping strong quads is good. So is, is protein is consuming a lot of protein about the tendon or is it about the muscle that attaches to the tendon? I think um, definitely I, I don't know the muscle. Yeah.
1: Like- I, I watched this, uh, or listening to this podcast and I've kind of had this idea in my head for like the past year, but some, it's like, I finally came across some content about it. And this person was saying like, you know, the obesity epidemic, and it was like, we don't have a obesity epidemic necessarily. It's more that we have a population that is underdeveloped from a muscle standpoint. Like we have like the weakest, you know, population that we've ever seen in human history and no one has muscle mass. Because of that muscle mass, we have you know chronic pain, we have, uh, no, you' so there. Sorry, yeah, I think I froze yeah. But yeah, so that you have chronic pain, obesity, um, you know, diabetes, heart disease is another one, because if you don't have enough muscle mass, you can't raise your heart rate enough to actually like train it and keep it healthy. And so I, like the more I've been thinking about it is like, man people need to like, just, well, and being sedentary, like you're not going to have muscle mass. Like why would the body put that on? So, I mean, that's only going to cause more strain on the the tendon itself because then you don't have muscles that actually like work the way the joints, the way they need to, to some degree. So that's just kind of been my philosophy. It's like more people just need to. Eat more and freaking put some muscle on, man! Like that's important work. You're saving lives if you get people to put on ten pounds of muscle.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's
1: pretty much like curing kids of cancer, you know. Like they, <laughs> as you were it, saying earlier.
0: Yeah, it's um, and I, uh I think it's so having the population with the uh, patellar tendon pain, which is like the populations are usually well, the ones I associate with, I guess I get it. From any sports, I get I get right. people that reach out to me, but usually like the dunkers, people who dunk basketballs, and um, it's so interesting. Mostly every the pro dunkers that I talk to, mostly everyone has had the patellar tendon pain. I think Jonathan Clark is one of the guys who hasn't. He's just had mm-hmm. uh, uh, ACL. He had an ACL tear, but he was a track and field guy. So become, being a track and field guy, you you get knowledge about changing loads, about doing like low low level drills, low intensity stuff. If you're not a track and field guy, you probably just won't know about that. Uh, If you're lucky to play something like basketball, then you pretty much get those low level activity by playing basketball five days a week or however often you do, Um, which really just helps doing low. If you're trying to do a max effort jump and jump higher, it helps to do if you're trying to jump 40 inches, it helps for you to jump uh, 20 inches for a significant amount of volume. It helps. uh, And not just to do that activity, but get it from like playing basketball or doing a variety of different movements. Is that for tendons i don't know like just making tendons work in a lower level way uh i I don't know the answer but uh anyway going back to like when we talk about all these ideas with the 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 diabetic and the moving around and stuff and then you take you take some of these pro dunkers and i mean first of all what they have going for them is like they're lean there's you can't be fat uh, and then second, of all they're lights. So it's like, they are 170 pounds. It's a lot less load on your tendon than being 220 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, there's just, I, I was like, I was with my friend, Ryan, Ryan Nagel in San Diego. And he was like, before he does a dunks day, he'll like purposely not move the next day or the, the, the day prior, like try not to move around because it fatigues you, you get fatigued yeah. like from, yeah. from the, the simplest thing. So anyways. I I I like the idea of like people should move around. Um, mm-hmm. pe- people should be moving for a majority of the day. But then, what if we have those those performance athletes where it's like, what if you have someone like an NFL player or NBA player or something? And should they also try to do a lot of low level activity, or is that, or could that potentially lead to some fatigue? And right. should they just chill out? Or if if you're doing a, a dunk show and you're completely healthy, I think when you take someone who's completely healthy, it's like go do what you've been doing. I'm not going to mess with you. But if you have someone who's in pain, it'd be like, all right, you should, you should get a lot of movements all day, all day long. Um, for what reason? Is it because of blood flow or flushing things out? I have no clue, but yeah. I just know that it helps.
1: <laughs> yeah. I just
0: know that it helps. And, and if you're, if you're healthy and you're performing very well, maybe it's just an outlier. Maybe that person is like, how many steps do you get a day? They're like 1000. And it's like, oh really? And they're like, yeah, I have no tendon pain. I jump 50 inches. It's like, all right, carry on.
1: Yeah, right. Well, and that's what I think like this stuff's a problem when it's a problem. It's like we have all these tools to like help people, but it's like if you're good, you're good. Like, don't, like you don't even need to worry about it. That's what at least I tell like people that reach out. I have people that reach out to me and they're like, does this look bad? I'm like, does it hurt? And they're like, no, I'm like, you're good. Like, yeah. carry on, like you said. But yeah, I think for someone that is probably there's typically gaping holes like in their lifestyle or something like you probably will be able to see it. It's like, well, you know, fill this bucket and see what happens. Like give it three months and see what the hell happens. And you'll probably feel better because it's something that you're at least not doing. Like um, I know these, there's like stories of people who have cancer and they spend their whole life like smoking and drinking and doing all these different things. And then they get put on chemo and radiation and they're like, I feel so much better. I've never felt better in my life. And they're like it's because i'm on chemo and it's like no it's because you stopped doing all this bad stuff you were constantly doing and now you feel better than you ever have and it's like imagine if
0: you did that and you weren't on chemo like
1: you would feel even better like so it's i don't know man
0: it, is that is that like a man was that in the seam clubs the via negativa thing is that the same saying of like uh removing just removing like instead of, instead of starting, instead of starting with someone and being like, what can we add in? It's more like, what can we take away? Like, what are you messing up? Right. Exactly.
1: And and that's, I, the only thing is like, that's hard to do, or I I like the idea of replacing it. Right. Because again, like, if you look at like uh, Portugal and like addiction and all this other stuff, like they always sit there and talk about like, you know, we don't just take away the drug necessarily. Like, yeah, they obviously do take it away, but they try to like replace it and They're like, you're going to reach out to family and friends that you haven't talked to in years right you're going to try to make like actual connections with humans and you know join sports join that you know get a freaking hobby do something else to fill this void uh and you know think of like dopamine serotonin like all these different things that are like firing you still need those to some degree it's just what are you getting it from right so you have someone again it you're not like for that cancer example, you're not taking away necessarily like the bad or you're taking away the bad foods, but you're replacing it with something that's just hopefully they still enjoy to some degree, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. you can take away dunking, but replace it with spike ball for two weeks and then see what happens. Like it still gives you that dopamine response, like you were saying.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the uh the um biocycle, the biocycle, uh psychosocial, I guess. But yeah, I guess man. not the bio, not the bio aspect, but the other ones. Like, um, that's what that's what makes everything so confusing with the the tendon pains, and I, uh, or I guess any any type of pain. But, um, well, people's beliefs, you just, like you, people believe. I know, dude. The, well, the, yeah, they they identify with it. They think something's really messed up with it, and and maybe that is the case. And then actually, if they do think they have a tear and they get surgery and then they get better, it's like, who am I going to say you were wrong? You know? right. Uh yeah. But I just think that most cases, I mean, maybe, maybe you probably, you don't need that. Um, if you've had, if you've had rehab that just hasn't been working, it's like, there are probably things you can fix within your rehab plan. But now it's like, if you look at it, okay, you've been rehabbing for, for like nine months and you're still the same. It's like, we could try some different things, but it's like, maybe, uh, you need something special. (laughs) Maybe you need something else. Uh, but yeah, the, that's, that's what difficult to get around. So for myself, I had I had rights. I had patellar tendon pain on my right side. That was the first time I ever got it, and it never went away. I did PT. I did um, I did PT for a long time. I rested it for a long time. Um, it just never worked. And I just knew that I needed surgery because they they did an MRI. They saw a partial tear in my tendon, which I guess picking up a partial tear is is kind of difficult. Picking up a partial tear from a tendonopathy is pretty difficult. But for me, I think I was twenty at the time um I just gave up I was like PT it's not gonna work for me and I looking back it wasn't that good of PT it wasn't like very high loading and it, there was nothing for my hopping there was nothing for my ankles that I was doing to get back to playing basketball um so I just had pain I, I had pain and I would, I would try to I'd rest and i try to push through it and then it would, it would just always come up so I'm like I have to get surgery and because I went through that and I and I know who I was at 20 years old if Myself now at 31, would would talk to myself and say, You don't probably like try this rehab, don't do surgery. I'd probably be like, No, I need surgery. Um, so (laughs) you know, like you get people, you once you've rehabbed for so long, um, you've it's like you can keep asking people for advice and keep trying to find new pieces of information. But is it even is that even the issue, or are you getting in your own way by you thinking that you need something else, you need something special? uh and that's i don't think anyone has the answer for for those aspects of pain the psychosocial aspects of pain but uh I, I mean i could tell you man back at the time when i had that tendon pain it was like i just wanted to play basketball and i really had nothing else in my life i was working like minimum wage jobs i had some friends but like my life wasn't that good looking at what my life is now and how how uh like comfortable and confident i am with with everything I do day to day or the value that I bring to other people or just knowing myself, like knowing myself. I think I know myself very well compared to what I did even a year or two ago. And I think that really helps in the pain world of my, the psychosocial aspects. Um, I think that really decreases my patellar tendon pain that I'm just living a life that I am, um, more comfortable with. And that's what, that's what's difficult with the younger looking at myself when I was 20, like, I, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what value I brought to the world. Um, and I just wanted to play basketball. And my, my life, I was so n- narrow-minded and just kind of a low-value, low-value human being <laughs> because yeah. what, did, what, did I, what do I bring to the world? What am I good at? What am I good at? And I think, I think you find out what you're good at. You find out what value you bring to the world. You can wake up and have some energy in life. You can, you can go and uh, give something out to the world and when you just have this tendon pain, it's like, you can't do that. And you're just trying to take you're trying to take positivity or take dopamine or take things from other people. And it's like that I I can I can pick that up on people with the tendonopathy. you can pick it up, go and hang around them. And it could just be an immaturity thing that they're younger, and they have this tendon pain. And all they know is I enjoy basketball, I get validation through basketball, I can't play basketball anymore. So I just need to fix my tendon pain. And it's like, bro, you got some deeper level issues, but I don't think you can solve those in two years. I think you need to solve those uh, through enough time, through enough of your life of trial and error. But the, yeah, dude, the people that are really, um, what do they call it in research? Recalcitrant. I think that's what they call it recalcitrant patellar tendonopathy. It's like patellar tendonopathy that does not get better. Like mm. it just, like it never gets better. I think that's the term they use. Is is, wow. re, I could be wrong on that, but it's a weird, it's a weird term. I'm like, is that, just made that's, that word up. No. I, Googled, I, Googled, I Googled it and it was, like, it was like a chronic issue that's just like not resolving, Here's a, whatever. Um, and uh, But you look at those people and I'm like, okay, is it, is, it, is it so much still about the biological side? If you've had patellar tendinopathy for one year, should we still be focusing on this, this uh, biological side? I bet you that the psychosocial elements have started to take over. The longer you've had it, I bet you those have started to take over um, yeah. because it's been one year and you've had patellar and you've been loading it and your body has been laying down the new collagen. All of these, the tendon healing processes have been happening. Now, assuming you don't have a, a tear that can be picked up. You have a tear that can be picked up and you might need surgery, you might need surgery. But if you've been rehabbing for a year and it's like, you just have a tendonopathy. I wonder how important the psychosocial aspects are, but I'm not going to be the one to judge someone and say, oh, you need to get your life together because I don't even have my life together. Who does have their life together? But yeah. um, uh, it's an interesting, I guess, thought experiment to say is, is loading. If you've had this for one year or two years, is it still about loading or do you have something else that's getting in the way? Um, as Enda King, Enda King was on my show and he was like, what's poking the bear. I love, I love that phrase. It's like, we we need to figure out what's poking the bear. And right. um, I think, most cases are probably like probably maybe 80% of that 80% of cases are like the high load activities are poking the bear. But it's like the other 20%, it could be something completely different that's poking the bear.
1: Right? No, definitely. I, I especially for those faults that are I, the way I've been explaining pain to people, especially like chronic, you know, because again, greater than six months, seven months is like chronic, right? Um, so for patellar tendon, hip, whatever the hell it is, like, there's some sort of you know psychological impact that's happening but i find that a lot of it's like a lack of like self-confidence and like this pain almost like turns into like a. and i this is completely anecdotal like like i have no necessary like proof it's just kind of conversations that i've had with people and you know they they've been through the gambit of like they're this guy's gonna fix me no then the next guy's gonna fix me or this next technique is gonna be that's gonna be the thing that does it and when it doesn't happen it just keeps to like push them down further and further and further and further. And they like, I, I almost see this pain as like a self limiter. And so, and it, it can like psychologically manifest. It's like a, your Achilles heel in some way, it's like, oh, that's your weak link. And then psychologically your brain puts like this warning out there and it's like, oh, don't go too hard. Like stay in your little safe bubble here. Like, don't be, you, you, we don't want you to spend calories, right? We want you to be safe. We don't want you to be under threat. So, like with those people, I think that's where load management does come in, but also like creating a supportive, um, like environment and just being like, hey, like, dude, you just held that ISO for, you know, 30 seconds and you didn't have any pain. Like, that's huge. Like, pat yourself on the back. Like, you're moving in the right direction. It's like, oh, you did it for 35 seconds. You did it for 40 seconds. Oh, man, you squatted 10 reps with no pain. Like, that's huge. Like, and just like restoring that self confidence. You know, obviously like them and, and then they start to get a little muscle mass you know their mobility gets better and like those things start to like compound and i find that that's like extremely beneficial for people and i don't know if it's i'm sure it's everything working at the same time but it's like restoring that psychological like self-confidence and having that support system behind them like it just goes a long way for them yeah
0: and- that that was um I I listened to a show with Richard Willie. I think it's, I think it was his name. He's a patellofemoral guy in Montana or something, but he was saying that there was this piece of research. I never, I never actually found it. And I think I sent him an email and maybe I'll get him on the show at some point, but he was saying that the people with patellofemoral pain, Uh, you can measure patellofemoral joint forces. And I think they were stepping off of a step with weight, which is like very high, the way they were doing it, I guess, was very high patellofemoral joint forces. But the research was like, it's not even that it's high patellofemoral joint forces, whether they're going to feel pain or not. It was their level of uh, fear, uh, like load avoidance, fear avoidance, whatever the term was, um, how fearful they are of the thing. So he was looking at yeah you were saying like biopsychosocial they're probably all happening at the same time uh i I guess i i probably just like to isolate them um i I like to i like to look at the extreme side and be like that's a good way to learn things but they're all happening at the same time so he was like someone with patellofemoral pain is um yes high patellofemoral joint forces could be bad but it can also be exposure therapy they could just need to be exposed to this load And, and I guess the term would probably be developed confidence in, in, in loading that pattern again. Um, but yeah, I, for me, it was like, I was kind of against, oh, high patellofemoral joint forces. Like the ATG split squat is a lot of, a lot of pressure on your knee. So looking at it from just the biological side, you would say that's probably not good for the patellofemoral joint, but then you put in the psychosocial aspects and the person that could be a position that they're just are like, no, I'm not doing that ever in my life. And then right. if if you as the rehab person think that that is something beneficial that they should be able to do, it's like, well, maybe we could put them in that position, get, like expose them to that position and they could find benefit. They could even like desensitize pain from that, like they, they could get a desensitization of pain um, over time. The... Uh, I was going to go somewhere else with this, but, uh, now I lost it. So I'm, I'm done. That's, that's the, that's the closing of my thoughts there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, man. Well, I mean, it's the, uh, I, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've gone into like a lifting session and you, you like psych yourself out. Right. And it's like, as soon as it's gone up here or even like sports too. Right. Like that, that's the whole thing, like sports psychology. It's like that ability to just like be in the zone flow state, all that. But also it's like self-confidence thing and, like under pressure. Like I remember there's one time I was in this competition. It was actually uh, for rebel performance, like James Serby thing. And it was like, whoever could lift the most weight over the course of like a month, like one, like 500 bucks. And I was like, dude, I need this. I'm, it's a competition. Like, hell yeah, let's go. And I'm in third. And it was the last week. I was like, if I put up some weight on this deadlift, like I can, I can definitely hit like first place. Like I'm going to take this. And I psyched myself out on the second set and like tweaked my back. I was like, what the hell? Like, I'm fine. Like, how did this even happen? But it was all just like up here. It's like this like self-limiting sort of thing that like took over. And I mean, your body's always trying to like self-limit. It doesn't want you to like expend the calories. Like I think I got it from like distance running. Cause I ran cross country, like from fourth grade through high school. And it's like, you know, the, the monkey jumps on your back or you hit the wall kind of deal at a certain point of the run. And it's like, can are you really like tapped out of all that energy like i just ate you know five pounds of pasta the night before like there's no way i'm tapped out of energy it's more just like this wall i hit and it's just like the mental fortitude to be like i'm in charge like and push your body further is where like people see success and i think it kind of ties back to what you're saying like people who are sedentary all the time you know we have a a life of comfort nowadays and people forget like how to be in charge of their body, like from a, a mental perspective, like discipline. Mm-hmm. Like discipline is something that we don't have. Like, I can't tell you how long I sit here and stare at my phone. Like, <laughs> like I just don't have the discipline. Like I'm addicted. And I'm like Instagram, like dopamine, all this stuff. And it's like you have to have just the discipline to put this shit down. And it's like, yes. I don't know,
0: man. <laughs> the There's, uh it. the dude, the um the I, I go back on the confidence thing, like the rehab, um, mm-hmm. is like you talk about someone who is in the creating that environment where it's like, hey, you just did a 30 second hold or whatever. Um, the one of my opinions, and well, actually, all my opinions can be wrong, have the potential to be wrong, and probably a lot of them probably are, but I think we're like, all if right you, if all you're rehabbing, at the same time, <laughs> dude. I'm looking at, I'm looking at, um, Maybe not a four-year-old could understand this, but, um, but uh, let's just say they do. It's like, ask a can a four-year-old even talk? I don't even know. But ask a, ask a young kid, a six-year-old kid of like, uh, hey, how do you get better at basketball? They're like, oh, you play basketball. you know." They're not going to think like, let's go pick, pull, pull the cones out and do the cone drill and everything. It's like, you do the thing. So if you look at, oh, my knee hurts, my patellar tendon hurts. It's like, if we're going to rehab your patellar tendon, I think it should make sense to a six-year-old. And if it doesn't make sense to a six-year-old and you're, if you're rehabbing me as a 30-year-old person for my patellar tendon, and you're having me do an exercise that to me doesn't make any sense, I'm not going to be confident in the rehab. I'm going to, I'm going to be going through it. Like, what is the point of this? So, um, when I, when I, uh, probably after the end of King thing, and this was accumulation of maybe four years of stuff is like, And the King talked about the the functional deficits, Um, and I I guess we could just say deficits, if you have a patellar tendon pain, you're going to have deficits within your body that you need to address. And as you address those deficits, pain is usually going to decrease as well. So it's like, one of the deficits is the brain, the brain is shutting down the quad. So let's get rid of the brain deficit. Isometrics are amazing to to, um, help your brain deficit. And then you have a quadriceps deficit. So let's just make your quadriceps stronger and bigger, because you can you can look at your quadriceps and, and tell that thing is tiny. That one's big. You know, the, the side that hurts right. is going to be smaller and then do a leg extension. Okay. That's weaker. And dude, these things makes, make too much sense. If you have patellar tendon pain and I put you on a leg extension and it's like, you can hold one fifty on the healthy side. You can hold 50 on the healthy side. Like, do you have to sell it to the athlete to say, you need to get better at, you don't need to sell it to them. You just need to, right. there you go. Like if you have a functioning brain and you're older than, and then four years old, you should understand this. And then, uh, and then, um, The other deficit, I guess, would be the entire leg. Like if you did a, uh, if you did maybe like a Bulgarian split squat or something like that, or just general leg strength. If you squat 95 pounds, back squat 95 pounds, and you have patellar tendon pain, do you think you should get stronger? Yeah, you should probably get a little bit stronger. Um, And then uh, the hopping thing is like, okay, you want to go and do, you want to go play basketball. You want to dunk again. You want to jump. Well, let's take the jump and let's scale it way down. And let's see how you jump at a very low intensity and they're jumping at a low intensity and their heel is smacking the ground and their leg is locked out. And it's like, okay, do you think you're ready to go back to that yet? No. So, um, I, I think the way that I look at patellar tendon rehab, it is, it should be, and it is so simple. The, 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 the loading program is address the deficits, address the very clear and obvious deficits. Your brain is shutting down that leg and that quad. So let's do isometrics to fix that. Um, your quad is weak. Your quad is small. Your leg is weak. Your leg is small. Let's fix that. And then let's look at how you want to get back to sport. Let's do a progression to build you back up to sport. If, if it is, uh, like change of direction, then let's do low intensity, change of direction and build that up slowly over time to where you can now move uh, confidently in that. But yeah, I think, I think that's one reason, one problem with rehab. And that was a problem I had with PT. When I was doing my first patellar tendon rehab was I was doing like 45 minute session and I didn't believe in anything I didn't yeah. believe anything worked but I was also sold on the Kelly Starrett stuff because at the time Kelly Starrett was coming out and he was like when you squat you need to sit back with your hips your knees need to go out so I was I was uh brainwashed into believing that uh knee health came from having like stronger glutes too All you right. know <laughs> and completely believe, neglecting, yeah neglecting uh, the ankle neglecting the quads, neglecting everything else so Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm at the point now it's like, okay, you're, you're, I can say most cases someone's patellar tendon hurts. Okay. Buy my program and read through it. And that should make a lot of sense to you and go and fix your patellar tendon pain. And then don't ever talk about it again, because it's gone. I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to have to talk to people and have conversations with people who are in pain. It's not fun for me. Yeah,
1: definitely. No, I think, get over it and move on. Yeah, like the approach you're talking about right there, it and just to tie it all together. I think it's if you don't see success from that, like probably 99% of it's going to be like user error, like and it's coming down to patience, uh not doing the exercises right or just the discipline with involved with it. <laughs> like just oh, man, yeah. it, it it again, it's just simple.
0: So, but I wish the patience thing the patience thing is so huge and uh it's uh, my I've uh I've probably been forced to appreciate because I've gone through it where I'm, I'm doing all of the rehab that I think I need to do. Like, I'm like, my rehab is solid. I'm I'm addressing everything. Why does my knee still hurt? You know, what is, why does my patellar tendon not better? And then it's like, Oh, well, I've only been doing this for three weeks. Like, let, let me give it. And then maybe I forget about it. I'm still rehabbing, but I'm not as, as uh, stressed out about it or, or whatever. And then it just kind of clears up, man. Cause it just kind of goes away. But is 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 that should i have just been patient and um that's what's that's what's difficult there's no there's no set time i can't say your patology hurts, hertz oh it's gonna take four weeks because for some person it takes one day and for some people it might take months you know who knows right. or some people it might be never and they just give up on playing basketball and dunking. there you go <laughs> <laughs> it, oh man
1: that's uh again man it's just the patience and but i always tell people too it's like Again, what's the pain there to do? It's a warning. It's still like make you consciously aware of whatever that and to like make a change, right? And then the second it's like not at the forefront of your brain, like that's when you've made the progress. Like you're like, oh, I just dumped a couple times or I just finished that session of like lifting. It's like nothing hurt. Wow. I I forgot I I forgot that this hurts sometimes. Like, like that's a good sign. That's you're doing the right things, but Jake, man, I think we gotta call it there. Um, thank you for coming on the show, man. Um, how about you hit us with the the social links?
0: Yeah. Um. So my my website's jackedathlete.com. I just uh, have a podcast and then uh, a few products for like muscle gain, vertical jump, uh, patellar tendon pain, which patellar tendon, patellofemoral, I'm like same deficits you can address uh, pretty much the same. And uh, my Instagram Jake Tura T U U R A. Then I like have Twitter and. I think that's about, I mean, I just, I pretty much just use Instagram and I post a lot of tendon, patellar tendon content, which for the probably 2% of my followers who care about patellar tendonopathy, they'll enjoy it. And the 90, the other 98% can just click right through the stories. There you go. So, yeah. Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm just here for the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> all right, Jake. Hey man, thank you so much for on the show and we will see you all in the next one.